Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Analytics, analytics, analytics. The NFL draft coming to Philadelphia in April, and what separates the contenders from the pretenders in the league, their work with analytics. In golf, this takes the form of systems like ShotLink, which collects and disseminates scoring and statistical data on every shot by every player in real time, and media focusing at data as well. YouTube has its own TV service, which offers dozens of channels, and those collect reams of information on viewers and their viewing patterns. The Sloan MIT Analytics Conference in Boston last week, focusing on all of this and more. It was the 11th annual event with 3,500 attendees, a who's who in the industry from owners to technology leaders. We caught up with Val Ackerman at the conference. She wears many hats, the commissioner of the Big East Conference. She was founding president of the WNBA, past president of USA Basketball that oversees men's and women's Olympic basketball. She also served as a U.S. rep to the International Basketball Federation for eight years. 1981 graduate of the University of Virginia, law degree from UCLA in 1985, and given the country's desire to be totally immersed in March Madness, Val Ackerman's timing of the interview as the commissioner of the Big East, certainly very important. We caught up with Val at the conference, a lot of perspectives on the entire business of sports. Rick Haro at the Sloan MIT conference. The buzz after lunch has wound down a little bit. This is one of the biggest conferences. It keeps getting bigger. The 80% students have now latched on to the 20% of the people who have their jobs here, and they're going back into the panels to try again. This is an incredible conference. Val Ackerman, um, the uh, basically the most knowledgeable person as far as diversity of basketball and otherwise on the face of the earth. How's that for an intro? That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, it is. We'll see how she responds in the next 15 minutes, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. So, Here's my test, right? Yeah, test. A lot of diversity. Uh, WNBA, Big East now. Uh, give us a 30-second elevator speech about your career. Go. Well, thanks. Yeah, okay. So I'm um, happy to be here with you today, Thank Rick, you. as always. As always. Um, I've been very lucky because I, I've been able to um, be involved at a lot of levels of the game of basketball. Yeah. I started out at the NBA as a staff lawyer, had a chance to work for David Stern for many years, one right. of the great titans in sports, um, had an opportunity to lead the launch of the WNBA in 1997, um, 20 years still going strong. It's a great league. Um, had a chance to serve as the president of USA Basketball, Huge. which runs the national team program right. here in the USA. Was spent eight years on the board of FIBA, the International yeah. Basketball Federation, representing the U.S. And now the last almost four years, commissioner of the Big East Conference. So it's been a great run. And, and titans in the industry. I mean, Jerry yeah. Colangelo with USA Basketball way before, and David Stern, obviously, and mm -hmm. and going to UCLA for law school. I guess they had a little basketball program this summer. 
execute. They were pretty good before I got there, but still a great program. But did you have a chance yeah. to spend a little bit of time with John Wooden and learn from him? I did. Actually, I met John Wooden once. It was a great thrill. Um, yeah. He was sort of well, you know, well into his 90s at that point, but it, it was just a tremendous honor. Very complimentary of the women's game when he right. and I visited and the skill level involved. And, uh, and he was one of many, many greats that have built the sport. Will you give us some perspective, Val, about the... Um, progress the women's game broadly defined has made over the last 10, 15 years, let's say. Well, I'll go a step further, Rick. Yeah. Really, um, I'd say in the last 20, um, since the early 90s, um, at least in the U.S., we've seen incredible progress. The college game is very vibrant. Girls play basketball in high numbers. WNBA, launched in 97, as I mentioned, um, has just completed its 20th season last year. And then the USA women's national yeah. team won its sixth straight gold medal in Rio. Right. So that's a dynasty that may not be stopped anytime soon. So the sports made great strides. Um, other women's sports in the U.S. have been growing as well, particularly at the team level. That's, I think, I'd say that was the story of the 90s in the U.S., the growth of women's team sports. And the story of the 2000s? story of the 2000s is the building up yeah. of all of those sports, um, the continued growth of, of, of sports that were smaller 10 years ago, like women's lacrosse, women's volleyballs gaining in the U.S.A., women's ice hockey. Um, I'm hoping someday the NHL could get involved in a bigger way in supporting yeah. that sport. Um, and then seeing the growth at the Olympic level. Um, you know, this past Olympics, I believe there were uh, not quite 50%, but getting there of the athletes are female. And Team USA was more than half female. So we're seeing growth globally as well. And now the next challenge, as I see it, is really to get more women in leadership positions in global sports organizations. Talk about that in a second, but let's go back to the grassroots for a second. Uh, broad question. Has Title IX done its job in your estimation? Very much so. Title IX, I would describe it as one of the most important pieces of legislation ever yeah. passed, opened so many doors for girls and women to play sports at the high school and collegiate level in the USA. I'm a beneficiary myself. Yeah. I was able to go to college on a, on a basketball scholarship because of Title IX. So it's opened many doors, made playing opportunities possible. That in turn, I think, that build up at the grassroots and high school and collegiate level has made the pro outlets possible. Um, and it would be my hope that other countries, frankly, could find a way to get the force of federal laws behind their women's sports development programs because there's, there's really uh, nothing to compare to it in terms of what it can get done quickly. It is interesting on the Olympic level, you talk to Scott Blackman and others, and he doesn't lament, but he states a fact that he doesn't wake up every morning and have government support handed to him. Mm -hmm. Yet, from a Title IX perspective, that gives this country a lot that other countries don't do. Well, it's very true. I mean, there is no Title IX at the pro level. Right. Um, uh, it really is about what the market will bear. Yeah. But at the high school and collegiate level, if federal funds, federal U.S. funds, are going to support an educational institution, that's where Title IX kicks in. And as I said, it's been, uh, you know, it's been a gift in many ways to women's sports program and very much responsible for the great growth. You know, as the host of all of this, uh, especially Reuters, I, I can't trash talk because 63% of, of our audience is international. But bring it on. Anybody who wants to play the U.S. women's basketball team, or for that matter, UConn, bring it on, okay? I mean, bring it on. Yeah, two, two dynasties, um, USA women. Um, 
have done a great job, in part because of Title IX. Yeah, you know, sure. that has made possible the great collegiate programs which feed into the WNBA, and that's the that's the composition of that particular team. And, and UConn is uh, kind of in its own category right now in terms of sports dynasties. Speaking of sports dynasties and UConn, how do you feel about the criticism? People have too much, they need to get a life, from my perspective, of, of Gino's program that it's, it's too good, that they need to level the playing field. Well, it's too good, but he should keep doing what he's doing, <laughs> yeah, and he exactly. deserves everything he gets. He's a great yeah. coach, and success is breeding success yeah. in terms of his recruiting pipeline. But I'm kind of with you. I think the rest of women's basketball has to figure out a way to you know, make this uh, a yeah. bit more interesting. We saw some new teams in the Final Four last year, and that was a real positive, but the margin of victory between UConn and, and everybody else is, is a bit high, and, and you don't see what you see in men's college basketball, which is those Cinderella stories and the possibilities for smaller schools to make it into the Final Four, win a national championship. That's a much more remote possibility, if not an impossibility right now in women's college basketball. Is that because the playing field for recruiting is not level? Uh, I would say it's not as level as it is on the men's side. Um, part of that is because in women's college basketball, uh, 15 scholarships are allowed. In men, it's only 13. So those extra spots yeah, on the bench, sure. if they were kind of spread around a little bit, might be might be helpful. Um, but again, you know, what's been sort of created and maintained at UConn is very, very special. And it's going to take, I think, something, um, something really, uh, you know, special to kind of knock them down. Let's talk WNBA and then the Big East. Um, WNBA, marvelous progress, anniversary come and gone. Good hands. You left it in good hands. It's a great league. I mean, the you know the best hands are the NBA's hands. Right. You know, right. and I'm I'm very happy that that you know David of course um, had had this going, and then Adam Silver's right. picked this up now, and and uh, some of the strategic decisions that were made early on, like keeping the league in the summer months right. when it was less competition, and making sure that vibrant television contract was in place are are still in place for the league. The product I think is spectacular, especially compared to what we had early on. Right. It's just gotten better and better every year. And now I think it's just going to be a matter of, of sort of slow incremental growth like you saw on the NBA side. Building audience, build, picking up the ratings, um, trying to raise the star power and wattage of the top players. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud to have been associated with it and, and still have very high hopes about what it can accomplish. If you waved a magic wand for the next owner of the uh, WNBA, is it somebody who has an existing NBA team and needs a summer tenant in his league, or is it somebody that is an entirely new investor that brings women's basketball to a different city that, than the NBA? Yeah, well, you would hope it could be one or either, or yeah, you know, one or both, both of those. Right. Um, you know, my, my sense is a guess only, because I'm, I'm not involved anymore, but if there was an NBA team that wanted to get in on it, they would have done it by now because the league's been around for 20 years, and that was the launch model. It was only NBA-operated teams. Um, so my guess would be that the growth is going to come from independent ownership who would see value in, um, in you know, a great sports property um, that's on national television, that has a history of great connection with fans, um, that may reach a separate sponsor base because of the female demographic that supports the WNBA, um, and wants to get in on this sort of whole story of, you know, continuing story, I think, of empowerment of women. All right, now let's talk about your current job, which I know you're passionate about, because mm. you're passionate about everything that you do <laughs> and have done. So 
Uh, Big East, uh, any surprises? Has it worked out as you expected when you took the job? Well, it's been very exciting. I'm coming up on the fourth year of the yeah. new, what we call the, the new, new Big, Big East, East. where uh, there was sort of a, a reconfiguration led by seven schools from the old conference right. that was founded, as you know, by Dave Gavitt in 1979, adding on the three new schools, not so new anymore, Butler, Creighton, and Xavier, all basketball um, committed. 100%, 110%. Um, and so we've, you know, I, I think the track record's been pretty good. We've had uh, a robust number of teams making it into the NCAA tournament. Villanova, of course, one of our schools, won the national championship last year. NCAA Division I's basketball, which was incredible. Um, for, for, the, for, for those of us whose kids went to North Carolina, we don't, we don't talk about that. All right. It was, yeah, it was a very, I'll tell you, that game, it, it was literally decided, as you know, at the last second there. Great game for, for college basketball. Um, and our presidents are happy. Um, they're, they're sort of like each other in terms of their academic records and what they believe in. So, you know, so far so good. And I think the, uh, the future of the conference continues to be very bright. And so challenges as far as being uh, accepted in the mainstream, I know that there are 300 and what is it, 70? 350. 350 yeah. D1 schools. And, and it's... Uh, have we worked out a system where everybody's going to be getting their share long term? How do we deal with it? Well, uh, I will say um, the NCAA is probably one of the most complex organizations in sports. It's got, uh, as you mentioned, 350 Division One members, and that's D1 only. Right. There's another 750 for D2 and D3 combined. So you're talking about an organization with 1,100 members. And so the governance challenges there are very real. Um, there was a governance restructuring a couple of years ago that kind of reconstituted how the board and the legislative bodies and the committees underneath them were structured and, and, and constituted. Um, and so now we're kind of living um, there. I, I would say, the tell you, the Big East is in a very good place. What's of note with us is our schools don't sponsor football yeah. at the FBS level. Right. And so that's, you know, in college sports, that's the biggest revenue generator among all of the sports is, is high-level football. We don't have that in the Big East. Uh, we're kind of, you know, dr our engine's being driven by the sport of basketball. So it kind of puts us in a different box on the org chart. But I would say even with that, we're very engaged in the NSA governance. And, uh, you know, we'll see. what Time will tell how this, how this group of schools continues to govern itself as it goes into this decade and beyond. Different box, better box, obviously different box. You lose the awareness and the big time revenue and television if you don't have football. But if you're basketball, you got the moment in the sun. Well, I mean, uh, yes and no. I mean, in our case, we have a, a lengthy uh, deal with Fox Sports. Yeah. So even though we don't have football, we were able to secure a long-term television agreement with Fox Sports. It's putting all of our men's basketball games on national TV in the U.S. So we've got Big Fox, Fox Sports 1, a new channel, Fox Sports 2, Fox Regional Networks, uh, really giving the Big East uh, very robust coverage. So even without football, we've been able to succeed where, where others are finding it more challenging. International audience, if they don't know a lot about the Big East, and you want to tell them something, what do, what do you tell them? Well, you know, USA college sports are uh, are kind of a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. The sports that are played at the, at the collegiate university level, um, it's a sort of far-flung group of schools that participate. We represent at the Big East 10 of those schools. Our schools are very, very strong in the sport of men's basketball, especially, as I mentioned, Villanova, one of our schools won the national championship for men's basketball last year. We sponsor 22 sports. Um, and I, I would describe us as, I would describe the Big East as a key 
key player um, in the NCAA family um, and universe. Um, but uh, but it's a it's a more complex world. And the good news is we're you know we're graduating students that are going on to do important things in their postgraduate lives. A couple more Val Ackerman's management style. You've been through so many different types of organizations. Is there one commonality surrounding your success? Probably hands-on. You know, I think anybody who's a lawyer, which I am, yeah. you tend to not be a great delegator and you yeah. kind of want to do things for yourself. I've had to learn how to be a better delegator. So I try to stay hands-on but have gotten better about charging people on my staff who, in the case of the Big East, are terrific with, with certain duties that they manage. Um, you know, try to be as communicative as I can because I think people need good information in order to do their jobs and know a little bit more about other things beyond their particular silo, so, so we work hard on that. And then I would just say, you know, preparing to make sacrifices. I think anybody who works in sports um, knows that it's kind of a 24-7, 365 business. You can't call into a sports event. Yeah. You know, you're on the road a lot, you make a lot of sacrifices, you have to be separated from your family. And I've done that, um, I've had to do that at varying times of my career, still do, but sort of, I think I've gotten better at knowing when to sort of pull the plug and, and take a break. Final issue, so the, the, uh, the NBA celebrity game, I guess they got to the bottom of the barrel, so they had Mark Lazary and Mark Cuban out there, yeah. and some of the players blew by them. Not a good idea. Would you ever allow <laughs> one of your owners to beat you, uh, or you beat him in horse, or uh, what's well, your Well, I can't, deal? you know, my club president, my presidents of the, uh, not club, but school yeah. presidents are terrific. They love basketball. I, I'm not sure if, I think they, a few of them play golf. But I'm not sure any of them are suiting up on the basketball court. You'd, well, you'd have to be pretty brave to do that. Yeah, I think. and clearly, and you are smart enough to realize that you don't let anybody or you don't beat anybody on the golf course that you want to do a business deal with, quite clearly. That's probably good advice. Right. Val, thank you as always. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Really Great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. I'm Rick Harrell. The producer of the show, Alex Cohen. Associate producer, Bethel Hobte. Assistance provided by Tanner Simpkins and Carlos Waddick and the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Colarusso.